Yesterday was my 16th birthday. And as each year passes, it seems ever more likely that I shall succeed my uncle, William IV, as sovereign. It really is quite remarkable that with so many uncles and aunts, no one has produced a male heir to the throne. The Morning Herald makes much of who shall succeed after William IV. The Duke of Kent, while only a fourth son, was in line of succession behind a childless regent, a childless and ailing Duke of York, and a Duke of Clarence well past fifty with a new wife of untested fecundity. Victoria does not, of course, mention the countless sons and daughters born out of wedlock and therefore disqualified. So all eyes turn to Princess Alexandrine Victoria, who, although lacking in stature, being a scant five feet, is at the very least legitimate. I don't remember Papa. He was Edward, Duke of Kent, who died when I was eight months old. It left poor Mama a widow for the second time, with three children to provide for, myself, my stepbrother Charles, and dearest Theodora, who I regard as a true sister and friend. Why such a long face? I feel rather tired, Mama. But, Victoria, last night's celebrations for your birthday were a triumph. Crowds from here at Kensington Palace all the way to the theatre. And my own darling daughter greeted with rapturous applause. And so much love. The concert was wonderful. Thank you, Mama. It was all very lavish, overwhelming. But I really must lie down. Well, you must finish writing your journal later in the day, whilst the events are still fresh in your mind. Yes, Mama. She likes to be with me when I write my daily account and all my letters, so I must have no secrets. I write to please her, and I am never left alone, day or night. I'm sure that dear Mama thinks it is for the best. She believes that I will come to some harm, and she is encouraged in this belief by Sir John Conroy, the controller of her household. I dislike him intensely, and his daughters. Mama won't see that he has too much power over her. And it alarms me. I feel so constrained. Oh, Sir John, last night was such a triumph. Your Grace? We should feel so proud of our beloved Victoria. It is entirely due to you, dear lady, that the princess has captivated the hearts of the people. Such cheering all along the route and a clamouring of people in the theatre. She is already the popular choice. All the more reason, wouldn't you say, to be vigilant? Who could harm her now? Well, there are unscrupulous elements in the court. They'd stop at nothing. There are even rumours of poisoning. My decision to keep her away from the king and his circle is a wise one, then. Oh, such corruption. And all those illegitimate children. So far, Victoria remains unsullied by their loose behaviour, and I intend that it should remain so. With her mother, and may I say your devoted servant as her guides, she will continue to be protected. To that end, may I humbly suggest that we gradually dispense with Baroness Leitzen as her governess and bring in someone who would be more in tune with our desires. Dash! Dash! Good boy, come here. Your Royal Highness! Oh, Letson, I'm sorry to trouble you, but I need comforting. I'm not well. But you were in such high spirits when you woke. 
Come, come lie here. <sighs> My head throbs. The palace is like a prison. Everyone watching. I want to stay in here all day, all night, forever more. Oh, oh, you poor child. I feel so troubled and anxious. Hold me, let's. Now let me stroke your brow. Hmm? Imagine you are in some faraway place. Your house in Germany, <laughs> with its wild gardens and and the ducks wandering free, and your dear father. You were happy there. But a clergyman's daughter must find suitable employment. I'm so fortunate to have you as my governess. You will be with me always. Yes, madam. I still have the golden key to my magic garden, Mr. Moses Montefiore's garden in Ramsgate. My garden, for whenever I choose, a garden like yours, Litson, a secret garden full of bowers and hidden places. But no one lets me be there alone.、Mm. Always someone watching,、oh. hovering. I'll never have any peace. I'll never have any friends,、oh. except you and Dash. <laughs> And my dolls, over a hundred of them. Let me look at a couple of lids and unpack them, won't you, please? My sailor doll. He was so brave, a gallant hero. And here, the ragged girl, the orphan. Oh, listen, do you remember? <laughs> my beloved daughter is clearly recovered. Your poor mamma was worried, and here you are playing with your dolls. No, oh no, merely remembering how they were my friends and how. Dash is now my friend since I have no others of my own age. You have Victoire and Jane Conroy. They are delightful girls. A credit to Sir John. They're not friends of my choosing. I dislike them intensely. I'd rather unpack all of my dolls and play with them. There's no time for all this nonsense. The confirmation will soon be upon us. Yes, madam. I think my daughter should concentrate on her catechism. Mama has appointed Lady Flora Hastings as her lady in waiting. I am uncertain about my feelings for this newcomer. She is very critical of dear Leighton, who I regard as the best possible governess and friend. But fortunately, we have an ally in the Duchess of Northumberland, whom the King has appointed as my official governess. She is well satisfied with my progress, and I know she gives favourable reports to the King. Mama is much concerned by plans for my forthcoming confirmation, but her very particular way of doing things will doubtless cause concern at court. It's monstrous! I am commanded by the king to communicate all my plans regarding the confirmation through the Duchess of Northumberland. His Majesty has no right to interfere in a mother's wishes for her daughter. Even at her baptism, he wanted to change her name. He won't back down on this. Well then. He should communicate directly with you, Your Grace, or maybe you should ignore the command and make contact with the king through the Archbishop of Canterbury. And risk incurring his wrath. I think we need to show the court that we are not prepared to accept its ridiculous demands. The princess's welfare is paramount, and all we wish to do is protect her innocence and ensure that she is a fitting heir to the throne. What would I do without your wisdom, dear Sir John? I am always your servant. You must state precisely what you require for Victoria's confirmation. We will set it in print and deliver the document to the king through the archbishop. I rely on your judgment. But we won't let it rest there. I have other plans afoot. 
which will ensure that we have complete control of Victoria's future. Since I was nine years old, I have corresponded with my dear uncle Leopold, King of the Belgians. He is Mama's brother and the very best friend to me. He encourages me to take an interest in the world, particularly European affairs, and he quizzes me on my reading and on the political climate. I'm also learning through him how to think for myself, to strive to be true, to understand what is right. And of course, he has direct experience of court etiquette and all protocol. Although Mama prefers to keep me away from our court, I most certainly would know how to behave. Best of all, Uncle Leopold acquires the autographs of all the famous people he comes in contact with and sends them to me. Look! Oh, look, Lipson! Uncle Leopold has kept his promise. More signatures. Hassine, maybe, or... Oh, I'll fetch your autograph book. Quite soon we'll have to find you a new one. <gasps> this must surely be the most prized in my collection. Louis XIV, le grand roi. Uncle Leopold is the dearest man... Almost my father, don't you think, Lady? He is indeed, madam. And he is so wise. I will always listen to his advice, and I shall confide in him, just as much as I confide in you. Here is a beautiful, clean page for the King of France. Oh, yes. And we won't show Lady Flora. She shall not share our secrets. As you choose, madam. She is not to be trusted. I've seen her with the loathsome Sir John. She tells him all our doings. Her mama won't listen to me. She thinks Lady Flora the perfect companion. She was your mother's choice. But you must protect me from her, Leighton, and from him. The Duchess of Northumberland listens to us, I think. And so would Uncle Leopold. How I wish he lived nearby. We need all our friends. That is certainly true, madam. I appear to displease Lady Flora as much as I displease Sir John Conroy. They are both abominable creatures. We will have to be careful... I think you will be pleased to know, Your Grace, that I have perhaps found the solution to our problems. I pray that you have. There has been too much interference from too many quarters. I have drafted a letter to the King. It will, of course, require your approval and signature. I have suggested that since we are approaching the confirmation of the Princess, that we should review her position. I'm intrigued. What do you propose? That her system of education should be phased out. At 16, she no longer needs governesses. So we remove the Duchess of Northumberland and Baroness Lakeson in one fell swoop. Precisely. Which would leave you, me, and Lady Flora Hastings in complete control. The Baroness particularly is an insidious influence, do you not think? Quite definitely. I sometimes think she turns my daughter against me, although Victoria would not countenance such a thing, of course. She loves her mama. And she needs your inimitable example to follow. I wish that the king was of the same opinion. Today I was confirmed. I awoke at seven and got up at eight. I gave mama a little pin and drawing done by me in recollection of today. I gave Leitzen a ring, also in recollection of today, my confirmation. I was dressed in a white lace dress and a crepe bonnet with a wreath of white roses round it. I went to St. James's Palace 
with the firm determination to become a true Christian, to try to comfort my dear mamma in all her griefs, trials and anxieties, and to become a dutiful daughter to her. Also to be obedient to dear Leitzen, who has done so much for me. But I discover from Mama, now that I am confirmed, that there must be significant changes. For example, that I should distance myself from Leitzen. This must not happen, but that is not all. Sir John wants me to sign a document whereby he will become my private secretary when I become queen. So far, I have resisted, but I feel so isolated, as if no one is prepared to take my part. This has all contributed to my failing health, and I have been quite ill. God willing, I will have enough strength to keep saying no. Rumours abound. The Duchess and Sir John Conroy are said to hold the reins, and worries about the princess's failing health have reached us. She was confined to her bed for several weeks, suffering from a variety of ailments, including the possibility of typhoid fever that very nearly killed her. They say she's diseased in the feet and can hardly walk. And it's come to my ears that the Duke of Cumberland has claimed that one delicate life only stands between him and the crown, and he should yet be King of England. Nevertheless, the princess is much improved and is enjoying the social whirl. We must go to the Olympic again, Mama. Madame Vestry's theatre is the sweetest, just perfect. I do love balletta. Sit up, Victoria. Or people will think you really are a cripple who has to be carried everywhere. I would like to know who has spread these dreadful rumours. I'm perfectly well, aren't I, Leitzen? Her Royal Highness follows the doctor's recommendations. The walks on Hampstead Heath are most beneficial. Didn't you like Mr Charles Matthews? Most charming actor and never vulgar. I should like to go again. If you will allow yourself to be guided by me and dear Sir John... You may enjoy many more pleasurable evenings. Not if his daughters dine with us as often as they do. Oh, it's been so good this evening. Just the three of us. Indeed, my life is sweeter. I much enjoy our visits to the theatre and ballet. But although surrounded by people day and night, I'm still alone, in my head, in my heart. And there is a fear of the unknown of what the future might bring. When I was so ill, and my most vulnerable, Sir John Conroy approached me and tried his utmost to make me sign a paper, appointing him as my private secretary. I resisted. Mama was displeased, but I am certain that I have acted wisely. Uncle Leopold and his good friend Baron Stockmar are aware of the situation and will advise me, I'm sure. In the next few months, Mama has arranged visits from my cousins. Ferdinand and Augustus of Saxe-Coburg arrive in March. Princes Albert and Ernest a little later. The king is not best pleased. He thinks that he should determine who I should become acquainted with, rather than Uncle Leopold and Mama. Such control is intolerable. 
One more day, let's, and they leave us. You will miss them, madam. Ferdinand and Augustus are the dearest of cousins. They will return one day. Oh, no. Ferdinand is on his way to Portugal to marry Queen Maria de Gloria. Poor boy, he's never met her. Imagine that. I wouldn't countenance such a thing. That is because your royal highness has the freedom to choose. I wonder if that is true. In the end, will they allow me to make up my own mind? Uh, of course. Let's, and I don't want them to go. We've had such good conversations. Long nights of dancing and laughing. I can't bear to let them disappear. There will be other visitors this year. You will meet so many new friends, madam. The king is still disquieted by visits from Mama and Uncle Leopold's relations. So in order to spite them, he has invited me to a ball at Windsor Castle to meet two cousins from his side of the family. Princes William and Alexander of Orange. Sit down, child. You look flushed and out of breath. Oh, Mama, I have been swung around the room in all directions. It is such a grand ball, don't you think? Listen, dear, let me sip some cordial. My throat is quite dry. Yes, of course, madame. Prince Alexander has begged to dance since I've already danced with his brother. Do you like them? Of course, Mama. They're quite charming. His Majesty wishes to speak with Her Royal Highness, the Princess Victoria. Oh, Mama... Shall you come with me? His Majesty wishes to talk to you, not your mama. You must go immediately. Be prudent in your responses. Yes, mama. I trust you have followed my instructions, Baroness. The princess must show due respect, but not too much approval. Her Royal Highness is well versed, and her posture is much improved. Stand close by. When the king has finished his audience, bring her back to me. She must not be distracted. Yes, Your Grace. Quite splendid, young men. A credit to the Prince of Orange. Indeed, Your Majesty. It has been a pleasure to meet them at last. And I am sure the pleasure is reciprocated. You are growing into a fine girl, Victoria. Despite your name, I was never fond of Victoria, but it suits you better than I would have thought. You will steal a young man's heart and be victorious. Your Majesty is teasing me. A girl should be teased. So, which of the two takes your fancy? Alexander or William? I cannot judge, sir, on such short acquaintance. Well answered, child. We must ensure that we have the opportunity to get to know you better. Your mother and that Conroy fellow have hidden you away for too long. Dear Uncle Leopold, the Netherlander boys are both very plain and have a mixture of Kalmuk and Dutch in their faces. Moreover, they look heavy, dull and frightened and are not at all prepossessing. So much for the oranges, dear Uncle. My priorities lie closer to home. I want to know how people less fortunate than ourselves... Survive. Don't open it more. We don't want you to get wet, child. But just imagine, Mama, having to live in such conditions no matter how inclement the weather. Gypsies choose their way of life. Quite right. So why aren't they allowed to live in peace without interference? Because they are different. No, Mama, they are not. I wish... I wish more than anything that we could do something for their spiritual and mental welfare. Give them houses, I suppose. Make it possible for them to go to school. 
Stop them being blamed for every little thing that goes wrong. Any crime. Perhaps, madam, there should be more institutions built, like the Victoria Asylum for Girls. Yes, but we have to understand that gypsies have a certain way of life. And we should respect that. No doubt you will discuss this with Uncle Leopold. Close the window, Baroness. And of course I did write to Uncle Leopold. He thinks it is right for me to be concerned. I love him so very, very much. He is indeed il mio secondo padre. Or rather, solo padre. For he is indeed like my real father, as I have none. On his last visit, he warned me about the people around me. I know who he means. It makes me so unhappy that I cannot trust anyone wholeheartedly. I have decided that singing lessons would be beneficial and help to keep my spirits up. And there is something further to look forward to. The forthcoming visit from my cousins Ernest and Albert. La, 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 la. Please excuse the interruption, Your Royal Highness, but the princess have arrived. Already? Oh, let's... Oh, how exciting! Please excuse me, Signor Lablache. I must greet my cousins. No, no, I must be composed and perfectly serious. Am I flushed, Leitzen? Is my hair in order? Madame looks perfectly well. You can't just see them. Near the carriage. Where? Where? I wonder which is Ernest and which is Albert. Ernest is as tall as Ferdinand and Augustus. He has dark hair and fine dark eyes and intelligent expression in his countenance and has a very good figure. Albert, who is just as tall as Ernest but stouter, is extremely handsome. His hair is about the same colour as mine. His eyes are large and blue and he has a beautiful nose and a very sweet mouth with fine teeth. But the charm of his countenance of expression, which is most delightful, c'est la foi, full of goodness and sweetness, and very clever and intelligent. Ernest will be 18 years old on the 21st of June, and Albert, 17 on the 26th of August. Yes. Bravo, Ernest, that was quite splendid. <laughs> Albert has a finer technique, oh. but thank you, dear cousin. And let us play a duet. Oh, I should oh. love that. What will you play? No, I mean that you should play with Ernest, Victoria. Ah, but as I have already entertained you with my virtuoso performance, <laughs> I insist that you take your turn. And if we play, then you should sing. Uh, Schubert! Rose amongst the heather. But you must remember that I've only just started lessons. Oh, we will do very well. <laughs> if you brought your chair out here, you'd see the whole of the horse chestnut. Oh, I like it here, with the branches framing the whole scene. Ah, uh, yes, uh, that's good. Let me see your sketch. A little drawing of Dash. When we go home, I will treasure it as a remembrance of my visit. I like to have reminders of my travels. And of people. Right? <laughs> and of people. His friends and cousins. But I keep a journal as well. Oh, so do I. And like you, I sketch all kinds of things. Would you care to see my drawing books? Of course. We've had such a pleasant time here, Victoria, and we would like you to visit us. 
Saxe-Coburg is as beautiful as England, and you could sketch to your heart's content. The more I see them, the more delighted with them, and the more I love them. They are so natural, so kind, so very good, and so well instructed and informed. They are so well bred, so truly merry, and quite like children, and yet very grown up in their manners and conversation. It is delightful to be with them. At nine, we all breakfasted for the last time together. Dearly as I love Ferdinand and also dear Augustus, I love Ernest and Albert more than them. Oh yes, much more. Albert used always to have some fun and some clever, witty answers at breakfast and everywhere. He used to play and fondle Dash so funnily too. Both he and Ernest are extremely attentive to whatever they hear and see. I will miss them very dearly when they're gone. Be careful not to meet the eyes of these people. They are not worthy of your presence. But it's the king's birthday, Mama. These are all his friends. And I am the only one here under sufferance. Why does he exclude my companions? He has never liked Sir John Conroy, and neither have I. Be careful what you say. You are still a child. A toast in celebration of the king's 71st birthday. His Majesty the King, health and long life. I trust in God that my life might be spared for nine months longer, after which period, in the event of my death, no regency would take place. I should then have the satisfaction of leaving the royal authority to the personal exercise of that young lady, the heiress presumptive to the crown, and not in the hands of a person now near me who is surrounded by evil advisers and who is herself incompetent to act with propriety in the station in which she will be placed. And... Although I have not seen as much of my niece as I could have wished, I take no less interest in her. The more I see of her, both in public and in private, the greater pleasure it will give me. I propose a toast to the Princess Victoria. The Princess Victoria. My carriage. Immediately. Never been so insulted in my life. The king is not at all well, and there they all are jostling for position. The princess Victoria concerns herself with parties and balls, or so it seems. She must be resolute in all her doings, as she is still, according to the Duchess and Sir John, a minor. Oh, Mama, just look. Isn't this the most beautiful ball gown you have ever seen? And so it should be. An 18th birthday is important in any girl's life. In your case, my darling child, it is vital that you should look every inch a princess. And my ringlets, dear Lidson, are they even all the way round? Perfectly, madam. And your tiara is exquisite. Do you think there will be many people lining the route? Undoubtedly. Some will have stayed on from this afternoon. Such loyalty. 
See how the silk catches the light. Mm. I'm going to dance all night through, Mama. I've been so lucky. A grand piano, imagine that. The king is so good to me. Oh, oh and the most original and dear presence from you all. <laughs> it has been such a glorious day, full of fun and frivolity. That is good. I want it to be a day you remember. But tomorrow I will be sensible and serious. In fact, I have many plans mulling around in my head. When they are properly formulated, I shall discuss them with you. Today is my 18th birthday. How old, and yet how far am I from being what I should be? I shall from this day take the firm resolution to study with renewed assiduity, to keep my attention always well fixed on whatever I am about, and to strive to become less trifling and more fit for what, if heaven wills it, I'm some day to be. Your Royal Highness, shall we step onto the balcony for a while? It can be rather difficult to conduct conversations in close proximity to the orchestra, who, may I say, are playing splendidly. <laughs> Do you think I have been dancing for too long, Lord Melbourne? I long to waltz and gallop, but I am happy to watch as well. To see the young swirling round the floor is indeed a pretty sight. I won't keep you from the quadrille, ma'am. I merely wanted the opportunity to wish you a very happy birthday. Mm. Not just as Prime Minister, speaking on behalf of Parliament, but uh, on my own account, as your devoted servant. You are so kind, Lord Melbourne. And it has been a remarkable day. I'm quite dizzy with it all. Uh, without wishing to be too serious on such a happy occasion, I would ask you to take heed. Be guided by those you trust. Do not allow yourself to be manipulated by those who would wish to take control. Oh, Uncle Leopold and his advisor, Baron Stockmar, are watchful on my behalf. Yes, indeed. Between us, we will do our utmost to protect you. For once, Sir John, you may take your rightful place at my side as controller of my household. But only because the king is not present. Some say he is failing fast. Victoria will soon be queen. Then we must persevere with our plans. Victoria has responded to his letter, giving her a grant and the power to appoint her own keeper of the privy purse. Did she copy our suggested reply? Word for word. After lengthy coercion. The daughter must be guided by her mother. Mm. I think that since the king is so ill, we should persuade Her Royal Highness to think again on the matter of who should be her private secretary. She won't give in lightly. As governess to my beloved charge, Her Royal Highness the Princess Victoria, I must record that we are living through perilous times here in Kensington Palace. It is imperative that I keep King Leopold and Baron Stockmar informed of the pressures being put on the child. They, in turn, pass on information to Lord Melbourne. But is it enough? All our activities are being watched, all conversations listened to, usually, by Lady Flora Hastings, who reports back to the Duchess. Princess Victoria is at breaking point. I regularly correspond with King Leopold, but he is too far away to prevent the situation from worsening. There you are, my darling child. You wanted to see me, Mama? Sir John and I both want to see you. There are matters concerning your future... That we both feel must be addressed now, especially as the King is not in the best of health. I cannot think of anything that is pressing. My financial status has been sorted out... 
To your satisfaction, I think, Mama. As it should be. But not my uncle's, I think. The king was not pleased. He is an old man. You should be guided by us, Victoria. I have always been grateful for your guidance, Mama. But I am now in a position to make my own decisions. You will still need a private secretary who has intimate knowledge of your background and needs and aspirations. A simple signature is all that is required. The transition from princess to queen will be a smooth one under my authority. I will not sign. You must not ask again. I will never sign this document. I will never again sign any document dictated by Sir John. I will choose my own private secretary when the time is right. You cannot talk to me like this. I have to, Mama. I must make myself very clear. I would thank you, Sir John, for any advice you may have given me. But from now on, I will not listen to you. You are not my advisor. And you never will be. Well, Your Royal Highness, I do believe that we are far enough away from the palace, and Baroness Leitzen is at a safe distance. I trust her with my life. Lord Melbourne, please help me. I am finding it increasingly difficult to keep my resolve. This is a most difficult situation, ma'am, but rest assured that I'm doing everything that I can. I will be coerced, I know it. But I won't give in. It would be signing away my entire life. The King is perfectly aware of what is happening. But as I said to his confidential secretary, that even though you are now 18, were you to succeed, your mother would still want control. That simply cannot be. And I'm afraid that she would appeal to public sympathy. After all, everyone approves of the way she has nurtured you, ma'am, and protected you from the less appealing elements at court. There's no denying it. And my situation is impossible. Mama is manipulated by Sir John. King John, as we refer to him. The real fact is, he wants money. Is there nothing I can do? Give him enough rope and he'll hang himself. Now, it may appear that we are doing nothing, Your Royal Highness, but it is often the best cause, believe me. I'll try. You should join us, Baroness. A brisk walk is called for. Thank you, Lord Melbourne, but I am quite content to um, contemplate the morning. The 15th of June, 1837. I hear that the doctors think my poor uncle, the king, cannot last more than 48 hours. Poor man. He was always kind to me, and he meant it well, I know. I am grateful for it, and shall ever remember his kindness with gratitude. He was odd, very odd and singular, but his intentions were often ill-interpreted. I feel very sorry for him. He was always personally kind to me, and I should be ungrateful and devoid of feeling if I did not remember this. Dearest child, you must get up immediately. So early? What? Come, put on your robe. Let me brush your hair. Oh, Mama. The Archbishop is waiting for you. I... I must see him alone. I went into my sitting room, only in my dressing gown, and alone, and saw them. Lord Cunningham then acquainted me that poor Uncle the King was no more, and had expired at twelve minutes past two this morning, and consequently that I am Queen... 
Lord Cunningham knelt down and kissed my hand, at the same time delivering to me the official announcement of the poor king's demise. The archbishop then told me that the queen, dearest Aunt Adelaide, was desirous that he should come and tell me the details of the last moments of my poor, good uncle, that he had directed his mind to religion and had died in a perfectly happy, quiet state of mind and was quite prepared for his death. Since it has pleased Providence to place me in this station, I shall do my utmost to fulfil my duty towards my country. I am very young, and perhaps in many, though not in all things, inexperienced. But I am sure that very few have more real goodwill and more real desire to do what is fit and right than I have. I have decided, dear Leitzen, that Mama's bed should be removed from my room. I will from this moment sleep alone. Yes, madam. And perhaps you would inform Mama of my decision. I will have to make her understand that I wish to talk to my ministers alone. I know she expects to be present at all interviews, but it must not happen. Of course, Twenty-fifth of June, eighteen thirty-seven. Dear Uncle Leopold, though I have an immense deal of business to do, I shall write to you a few lines. I am very well, sleep well, and drive every evening in the country. It is so hot that walking is out of the question. Before I go further, let me pause to tell you how fortunate I am to have at the head of the government a man like Lord Melbourne. I have seen him now every day, and the more I see him, the more confidence I have in him. He is not only a clever statesman and an honest man, but a good and kind-hearted man, whose aim is to do his duty for his country and not for party. He is the greatest use to me, both politically and privately. I'm afraid Mama is quite angry with me, but I will not have Sir John Conroy anywhere near me, and that is that. Your Majesty need not be troubled any further. Sir John has been persuaded to resign his post as controller. <gasps> oh, th that is the very best news I could have. <laughs> but his resignation comes at a price. We think we will have to bow to some of his demands, however extravagant they may be, for the sake of a quiet life. Yes, indeed. <laughs> the 1st of July, 1837. I have so many communications from the ministers and from me to them, and I get so many papers to sign every day that I have always a great deal to do. But for want of time and space, I do not write these things down. I delight in this work. Indeed, Lord John Russell was moved to say... We have had glorious female reigns. Those of Elizabeth and Anne led us to great victories. Let us now hope that we are going to have a female reign illustrious in its deeds of peace. An Elizabeth without her tyranny. An Anne without her weakness. By the total abolition of slavery, by a more enlightened method of punishing crime, and by the improved education of the people, the reign of Victoria might prove celebrated among the nations of our earth 
and to our posterity. I pray that I might fulfill these aspirations. As yet uncrowned, Victoria is already making her mark. Although according to the Times, it's Lord Melbourne who writes her speeches, which are full of Whig catchphrases and bias. Poor little queen, said Thomas Carlyle. She's at an age at which a girl can hardly be trusted to choose a bonnet for herself, yet a task is laid upon her from which an archangel might shrink. What a remarkable young woman she is. Not even one month has passed and she's already every inch a queen, commanding respect from every quarter. Quick to learn and eager to fulfill all of her duties. I am much moved. On Monday, she prorogued Parliament, entering the House of Lords, preceded by the officers of state, wearing the parliamentary robe which she found enormously heavy. There was great curiosity among the English aristocracy. Old Lady Jersey had armed herself with powerful opera glasses, which she relentlessly fixed upon the young queen. At ten minutes past two came Lord Palmerston, the foreign secretary, and stayed till six minutes past three. We talked about Russia and Turkey a good deal, etc. He is very agreeable and clear in what he says. Indeed, my days are filled with a variety of activities that are both testing and invigorating. I think the guardsmen and lancers quite the most dashing of men. Do you not think so, Lord Melbourne? Oh, quite. Oh, that was so exhilarating. And darling Leopold behaved beautifully. I was quite nervous about cantering up and down the lines, but it was wonderful. And if I may say so, Your Majesty, your control of Leopold when you reached your first position was exemplary. <laughs> Not a movement, despite the manoeuvres and the band playing. I think for the first time I felt like a man. I do believe, Lord Melbourne, that I could lead my troops into battle. <laughs> As your faithful servant, ma'am, I could not allow such a thing. But the men much admired your salute, and so did I. Another canter, I think, as far as the avenue. Can you keep up with me? I almost wish we were back in Kensington Palace. No, this place is not to my liking. And my daughter sees fit to keep me away from her apartments. I think Her Majesty is only concerned for your comfort. Mm. Buckingham Palace is convenient for Parliament, and it is also large enough to accommodate a greater number of people, all quite privately. Then why has she ordered a door to be cut between your rooms and hers? A servant must be at hand, madam. But not her mother. Mama, I did not expect to find you here. Your Majesty. Victoria. I have been much concerned with parliamentary papers. You've settled in, I hope. I much prefer Windsor and would choose to spend more time there. Will you excuse me, please, ma'am? I have my duties. Indeed, dear Leitzen. Come to me later. We must go through the newspapers. Yes, ma'am. Now that we are alone... I would like to raise the subject of my well-being. Every effort has been made, Mama, 
to make you feel at home. Then why may I not entertain guests of my choosing? You refer to Sir John Conroy, I suppose. And his dear daughters. It seems so unfair that they may not be received at court. Please stop this, Mama. The constant letters from you on the subject are becoming an irritation. I have much more important things to consider. That is patently obvious to me. Sir John has been given a title he doesn't warrant and an extravagant pension. That, in my view, is quite enough. You will not prevent me from asking him to the Guildhall banquet. I cannot depart from the line of conduct which I have adopted. This is all too much, Mama. I beg you. There is still the matter of all the debts you have incurred. And in your position, my dear daughter, they can easily be settled. Not so. Then perhaps I should throw myself on the mercy of Parliament. If the Queen cannot provide for her own mother, what else can I do? <clears throat> your Majesty... Lord Melbourne awaits. My dear Lord Melbourne, how good it is to see you. Your Majesty is well, I hope. Perturbed. Then, ma'am, you must allow me to listen to your concerns. I am always here to advise you, as it were, if I'm able. My mother is disgruntled. It hurts me greatly that I should have to treat her with such harshness, but it is difficult to keep my resolve. The Duchess can be a determined woman, but she and Sir John cannot harm you now. But there are still the constant arguments about my mother's debts. She demands that I contribute £10,000 out of my privy purse towards them. No, no, that simply won't do. She threatens to throw herself at the mercy of Parliament, shaming me at the same time. No, 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 she will not do that. It would amount to blackmail. Leave it with me, ma'am. We have a much more important matter to discuss. The plans for your forthcoming coronation. The 28th of June, 1838. I was awoke at four o'clock by the guns in the park and could not get much sleep afterwards on account of the noise of the people bands, etc. I reached the abbey amid deafening cheers at a little after half past eleven. I first went into the robing room quite close to the entrance where I found my eight train bearers all dressed alike and beautifully in white satin and silver tissue with wreaths of silver corn ears in front and a small one of pink roses round the plait behind and in the trimming of the dresses. At the beginning of the anthem, I retired to St. Edward's Chapel, a dark, small place behind the altar, with my ladies and train-bearers, took off my crimson robe and kirtle, and put on the super-tunica of cloth of gold, also in the shape of a kirtle. I also took off my circlet of diamonds and proceeded bareheaded into the abbey, the crown being placed on my head was, I must own, a most beautiful, impressive moment. All the peers and peeresses put on their coronets at the same instant. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Lord Roll. I wasn't quite certain what to do. When he fell down the steps, I thought I should rush down to help him. He got up of his own accord. 
At 81? No mean feat. Your Majesty showed great compassion in rising from the throne to meet him. And did you hear the cheers when you paid homage to me, Lord Melbourne? Mm -hmm. Yes, and it was so moving when they touched the crown and kissed your hand. Ah, I must congratulate you on this most brilliant day. And you did it all so beautifully. My daughter has been well tutored by her mother on such matters. Quite. And I could tell that you were moved by it all. I believe I was. But that is natural. Oh, you must be feeling very tired now, Your Majesty. But you did it all so well. Thank you, Lord Melbourne. <laughs> the excitement died down eventually. But it has to be said that the coronation captured the heart and soul of a nation. The Queen continues to concern herself with affairs of state both at home and abroad, and I feel that we can broach any topic with the certainty that she will offer a useful insight. Meanwhile, she is much distracted, however, with wretched Lady Flora Hastings, who has returned to the household apparently with child. I have urged that the Queen should ignore the whole affair, but this is becoming more and more difficult. Lady Flora, after lengthy protests, agreed to be examined. And the outcome? She was found to be a virgin. The swollen stomach is caused by some other oddity. Relief all round, I would think. I wish I'd never met the lady. The scandal has broken and the public are taking her side. She is steadily diminishing my popularity in the country and they're calling me a heartless child. There are other problems in the house to be concerning us, ma'am. I have indicated how I am losing my hold on the commons. Oh, yes, the question of the Jamaican sugar planters. Mm. How absurd that a matter which is colonial and not directly concerned with us should assume such importance. They should be made to approve the abolition of slavery and Negro apprenticeship. Well, the government has proposed that we suspend the constitution of Jamaica for five years. Sensible. The Tories won't have it. And they're supported by quite a number of radicals. All of this, ma'am could be my downfall. The 7th of May, 1839. The state of agony, grief and despair into which this placed me may be easier imagined than described. All my happiness gone. That happy, peaceful life destroyed. That dearest, kind Lord Melbourne no more my minister. I sobbed and cried much. I wrote to Sir Robert Peel, who came to see me embarrassed and put out. I asked him to form a new ministry. He says entering the government in a minority is very difficult. He felt it arduous, and that he would require me to demonstrate confidence in the government. Tragically, Lady Flora's condition worsened, and she died without a struggle, poor thing. 5,000 people showed up at her funeral, and although the Queen did not attend, stones were thrown at the carriage she sent. My friendship with the Queen continues, and I note that Her Majesty is becoming disillusioned, quite fat and indolent. The honeymoon period is over, I fear, and she needs the support and stimulus of a partner. To this end, I have suggested that she delay no longer in considering the possibility of marriage. Your Majesty, Lord Melbourne. Your Majesty. 
I will come to the point immediately. I have decided to marry Albert. You have? And when did you have in mind to do this? In about a year. Too long. I think Parliament should be assembled in order to make provision for him. But the matter shouldn't be talked about yet, in case of any objection. Oh? Although I don't think there'll be much. On the contrary, I think it'll be very well received. The 10th of October, 1839. As we were returning along the new walk, one of my pages came running with a letter from Uncle Leopold, saying my cousins would be here very soon. At half-past seven, I went to the top of the staircase. It was with some emotion that I beheld Albert, who is beautiful. Lord Melbourne remarked that I might take a week to make up my mind, but I have no need to delay my decision. Since I last saw him, Albert has grown into such a fine young man that my heart is quite going. His beauty is most striking, and he so amiable and unaffected. In short, very fascinating. He is excessively admired here. After dinner last night, we sat together on the sofa, Lord Melbourne sitting near me, Ernest playing at chess, and many being seated round the table. I played two games at tactics with dear Albert and two at fox and geese. Stayed up till twenty minutes past eleven. A delightful evening. These last few days have passed like a dream to me, and I am so much bewildered by it all that I know hardly how to write. But I do feel very, very happy. Indeed, I have made up my mind to marry him. He comes the bridegroom of Victoria's choice, the nominee of Leitzen's vulgar voice. He comes to take, for better or for worse, England's fat queen and England's fatter purse. Albert, you must be aware why I have sent for you. Oh, dearest Victoria. It would make me too happy if you were to consent to what I wish. To marry me. You would make me the happiest of men, as I would wish to make you. Oh, my sweet love. Oh, oh you are so kind, so, so affectionate, so loving. Oh, this is perfection. I cannot believe I am loved by such an angel. My mind is quite made up. And I told Albert this morning of it. The warm affection he showed me on learning this gave me great pleasure. He seems perfection. And I think that I have the prospect of very great happiness before me. I love him more than I can say. And I shall do everything in my power to render the sacrifice he has made as small as I can. It's Albert's turn, Lord Melbourne. Oh. Do you have enough letters, my dearest, to make a word? If I can find a certain letter. Yeah, I have it! P-L-E-A. Pleasure. A most appropriate word. Can you guess what it is? It has eight letters. <laughs> oh, it could be anything. Tedious game. 
Come on, Lord Melbourne. You are usually so good at letters. It is a very common word. Uh, but not a very common thing. <laughs> is it truth or honesty? Oh, tell him, Albert. Oh, do tell him. Uh, the word is pleasure, my lord. And nothing would give me greater pleasure than to dance with you, my dear Victoria. <laughs> uh, a waltz! I, I must teach my bride how to waltz. <laughs> One, two, three. One, two, three. Oh, it's so difficult. Now follow. That's all you need to do. <laughs> I will guide you everywhere. One, two, three. One. That's it. It's that's it. I started so badly. And finished brilliantly. Don't you think so, Lord Melbourne? Her Majesty dances beautifully, Your Royal Highness. But, but if I might say, I do think one should pay attention to the other ladies <laughs> present. They would all wish to know you. <laughs> Look, there are some great beauties, wouldn't you agree? I am not much interested in other beautiful women, who are so often fated anyway. Dear Albert will want the company of older women, won't you? <clears throat> Indeed. It would suit me well if I were to live with you and Victoria here in the palace. Mama, Albert and I haven't yet decided on our plans. You would keep me at arm's length, would you? I am perfectly certain that living arrangements will be organised to everyone's satisfaction. Uh, perhaps your grace would care to take a turn round the room. The young couple have so little time left. Thank you, Lord Melbourne. It was ten o'clock, and time for his going. I gave Albert a last kiss, and saw him get into the carriage and drive off. I cried much, felt wretched yet happy to think we should meet again soon. Oh, how I love him. How intensely. I am so relieved, my dear Lord Melbourne, that you are once again my Prime Minister, and particularly at this time. Who would have thought that so many complications would arise from my proposed marriage to my beloved Albert? One of the penalties of being sovereign, ma'am. Mama is conjuring up a string of supposed insults and slights. She now says that even Prince Albert's valet knew about the engagement before she did. And she will insist on living with us. You will have great difficulty in getting her grace out of the house. But you must. And you will have to be firm. Firm. But there must be no harshness. We will hire a house for her. A pretty, well-appointed house. I'm not sure that would be well looked upon, Your Majesty. Oh, dear. It seems I must set about pleasing everyone. When the declaration is formally read by you, ma'am, there will be jubilation. Everyone will be pleased. I much prefer Madeira to port. It settles more easily on the stomach. Will you have another, my dear Stockmar? I won't refuse. As advisor to both the Queen and King Leopold, I have been made aware of the difficulty over Prince Albert's annuity. <laughs> Uproar in the house, my dear fellow. Fifty thousand is quite out of the question. They won't have it. What astounds me is that not only the Tories and Radicals voted against, but some of my own supporters. A distrust of foreigners, would you say? Mm, or a badly presented case. Nitpicking, that's what I call it. 
Ah, oh, and as for rank, even the happy pair can't agree. I know that Prince Albert wishes for no other rank than his own. Yeah, whereas the Queen wishes that he be given rank, and therefore precedence immediately after herself for the whole of his lifetime. And how is that viewed? It simply cannot be. The Prince cannot take precedence over their children. Mm, I see your point. No doubt there will be a rocky road ahead. I must make sure that Prince Albert is not diminished by all this wrangling. He is a good man. Mm. Wise beyond his years. My dearest Albert, how I wish that you were here and not in Coburg. I had a talk with Lord Melbourne about your arrangements for our marriage and also about your official attendance. And he has told me that young George Anson, his private secretary, who is with him, greatly wishes to be with you. I am very much in favour of it, because he is an excellent young man, and very modest, very honest, very steady, very well informed, and will be of much use to you. My beloved Victoria, if I take the Prime Minister's secretary, won't this make me a partisan in the eyes of many? Think of my position, my dear Victoria. I am leaving home with all its old associations, all my bosom friends, and going to a country in which everything is new and strange to me. Is it not to be conceded that the two or three persons who are to have charge of my private affairs should be persons who already command my confidence? My beloved, it is, as you rightly suppose, my greatest, my most anxious wish to do everything most agreeable to you. But I must differ with you respecting Mr. Anson. I am distressed to tell you what I fear you do not like, but is necessary, my dearest, most excellent Albert. Once more I tell you that you can perfectly rely on me in these matters. Is it wise to stay outdoors in this weather, ma'am? I relish the cold. All my windows are open, inside or out, it makes no difference. And I could not bear to sit on my sofa any longer. Oh, they will be here soon, Lord Melbourne, and in three days we will be married. It will seem like an eternity. I confess I am a little agitated and nervous. Most natural. How could it be otherwise? And to think I wanted to delay getting married. I even contemplated not marrying. Depend upon it, it's right to marry. Of course it is. Oh, I want nothing more than to be Albert's wife. Oh, they are here. Oh, Lord Melbourne, fetch Mama. She must be here. Oh, my beloved Albert, you have come at last. Oh, dearest, sweet girl, I am here. My beloved Albert, how are you this morning on our dear wedding day? And have you slept well? I have rested very well and feel very comfortable today. What weather! I believe, however, the rain will cease. Send one word when you, my most beloved bridegroom, will be ready. Thy ever faithful Victoria R. My darling child, you look so beautiful. Oh, the gown is magnificent. Are those my flowers? Just a nosegay, which you may choose to wear, but only if you wish. Oh, thank you, Mama. They go perfectly with the flowers in my hair. Do you think the sapphire brooch that my dearest Albert gave me looks well with the necklace? 
You will be a ray of sunshine in this most dreadful rain. You know that I want you to be happy, don't you? That has always been my wish. Yes, Mama. The ceremony was very imposing and fine and simple and I think ought to make an everlasting impression on everyone who promises at the altar to keep what he or she promises. Dearest Albert repeated everything very distinctly. I felt so happy when the ring was put on and by Albert. As soon as the service was over, the procession returned as it came with the exception that my beloved Albert led me out. At 2.30, we joined the guests for the wedding breakfast. They left at four for Windsor. Well-wishers on horseback, and a motley assortment of carriages and gigs galloped beside us, scattering happy throngs in the road, all the way to Windsor. I am so glad that we came here for our honeymoon. I'm not fond of Buckingham Palace. Mm. Oh, wherever you are, my darling wife will be a haven. <laughs> oh, today is the happiest day of my life. Every tiny detail is imprinted firmly in my mind. Your beauty, <laughs> the vows, the whole ceremony. We will always be as happy as this. <laughs> I'm quite... Dizzy with love. <laughs> you should eat, my dearest. The supper is laid out very conveniently. We need not stir from this room. I could not manage one morsel. It has all been quite overwhelming. <laughs> I'm still too excited to eat. <laughs> then lie here in my arms. We will eat later. <laughs> I will tell you, my beloved Victoria, how I have longed for this... All the time in the world to express the very deep love and affection that I already feel. Oh. I never, never spent such an evening. He called me names of tenderness I have never heard used to me before. It was bliss beyond belief. Oh, this was the happiest day of my life. May God help me to do my duty as I ought and be worthy of such blessings. Already the second day of our marriage, his love and gentleness is beyond everything and to kiss that dear soft cheek, to press my lips to his, is heavenly bliss. I feel a purer, more unearthly feel than I ever did. My dearest Albert put on my stockings for me I went in and saw him shave. A great delight for me. Oh, was ever woman so blessed as I am?
in Young Victoria by Juliet Ace. We heard Imogen Stubbs, Anna Massey, Adrian Lucas, Selena Cadell and John Rowe. Other parts were played by Christopher Casanova, Andrew Wincott, Terence Edmund, Thomas Arnold, Claire Colbert and George Allenby. The producer was Cherry Cookson.